0: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. And Colby, I tell you, all is right in the Pistols Firing Podcast world. Oklahoma State remains on track, controlling their own destiny for a Big 12 championship.
1: Carson, I know it was Kansas, but doesn't it feel good just to know that 55 still exists? just to know that it's still a thing because they didn't get to 30 against Missouri state. They didn't get to 30 against Tulsa. They didn't get to 30 against Boise. They get to 55 against Kansas. I know it's just Kansas, but it's nice to know that 55 still
0: out there. It's great. And we got a lot to get to with the offense scoring that many points. And and you're right. I, I, we can preface it all we want that it's Kansas, but Hey, they took Oklahoma to the wire. Now they have been blown out by Texas Techs of the world as well, but they were coming off, you know, a, a close call against Oklahoma. So you can't just thumb your nose at it like most years when you play Kansas. I don't think so. It was impressive.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. It was. It was really right out of the gate. It's like they didn't. They didn't give Kansas a, a half a quarter or a quarter to think to themselves you know, maybe we could give them a run for their money. Nope, they just let them know, hey, you're in Boone Picking Stadium. It's homecoming. It's not going to be a fun night for you, but you'll be back in Lawrence before you know it. And that's what you should do with Kansas. So I was I was pleased with how it played out.
0: Yeah, it was a fun night in Stillwater. What a great homecoming weekend it was. But first, before we get into everything else, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at com. I'm sure lots of people Stop by there on their way to Hideaway and all the way through walk arounds and everything else. So, we again, we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the pod. I'm sure they love homecoming weekend and we love having them sponsoring the podcast. So, Colby, I don't think there's anywhere we need to start other than the defense because look, we can preface it all we want that it's Kansas. I don't care if they're playing Bixby High School to hold a team with your first team defense to zero first downs is incredible and it really kind of showed the rest of the country like look we don't care if they're playing. like we know they're playing Kansas but they just put kind of an exclamation point on the fact that they're one of the best defenses in the country Carson there was a point in the game where they threw up a
1: graphic uh, and I was in the stadium so I didn't see this until afterwards somebody posted on Twitter first downs was 20 to nothing in favor of Oklahoma State like you said no first downs in the first half for Kansas and that's something that. I know we were aware of in the stadium. I think some other people were aware of in the stadium. because I think there was like a, uh, a third and one, or maybe it was a fourth and one late in that first half, and Kansas, you know, tries to pick it up. They don't get it, and everybody just cheers. And it's like everybody knew that not only did they have the shutout going, they had the first down shutout going, and that's something that's hard to keep going. I mean, you get first downs all the time. You just – you, you, you send a guy over left guard, and there's a little hole. He runs for 11 or 12 yards. Like, that's just football. And there was just nothing. It was suffocating from Oklahoma State. Uh, Jason Taylor on, on the tip drill on his pick, that was way too easy for him. Uh, he said after the game, we were listening to the postgame show on the radio. He was like, I should have stayed up, so I could have returned it. I'm like, man, I don't know if he'd have made that catch if he would have stayed up. But then Colby Harvell-Peel comes in, and his interception was clean. It was pretty. Uh, I mean, it's just – they really made it look easy, and it's not as easy as they look as they make it look. Uh, Listen to Deion Amade in the postgame show. He, he said something that I thought was really good. Talked about Kansas trying to run some man beaters and stuff. He said the thing about Jim Noll's defense, their disguises have disguises. So whatever you think is coming, it might be this, it might be that, it might be the other. It's Their disguises have disguises, and that's just about the best way you can put it.
0: Yeah, that goes back to when we broke down the the Jason Taylor interception at, at Texas. He, he disguised the coverage so well, baited the quarterback into doing exactly what he wanted to based on the the route that Jim Knowles expected to come. That did, and that's that's become a hallmark of this this defense. And you know, Jim Knowles, you know, this is his fourth year, and you know, he had in the post game he had he had Colby Harvell, Peel, and Jason Taylor alongside him, but standing behind him during his presser. And I thought it was really interesting. He said, I wasn't, a, I wasn't much of a nice guy when I got here his first year. And that goes back to something I had heard when he got to Oklahoma State. I had heard, Colby, that he was so brutal to the players, just dog-cussing them out every practice, that Mike Gundy pulled him aside and was like, look, dude, this ain't going to fly. Like If you're going to keep doing this, I'm going to go find somebody else. That's kind of how rough of a start it was for Jim Knowles, and then you see him hug hug Taylor and, and Peel during his press conference afterwards. It shows you how far along he's come with his players, and you can see the results on the field. The players have come a long way with him and his defense, and, and they they are all on such the same page that you're right. It does look easy. It looks really simple, doesn't it? it? It's like, okay, first down, game one or two, second down, game two or three, and then all of a sudden you're in third to medium to third and long, depending on. If there's an incompletion or something of that nature, and then boom, you're you're punting before you can almost blink. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's more than just getting getting up for giving up no first downs, Coley. They, they they force three and outs with the best of them as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, they do, and they're so good on third down. It was, uh, I believe, second time under Jim Knowles that the opponent did not have a single third down conversion. Tulsa in 2020, I think, was the other. It's just that is so just almost impossible to do, but it speaks to how good you are on first and second down. You put the other team in third down situations that are hard to pick up. And then even on some of those third and ones, there was a fourth and one that they went for. There's just, there's nothing there. There is nothing there. And I think the growth that you talk about, A lot of these guys, this is a pretty veteran-laden defense for Oklahoma State. You've got some younger guys. You've got Colin Oliver. You've got some guys uh, who haven't been out there as long. But a lot of these guys, Colby Harville-Peel, Jason Taylor's been there for a few years. Uh, Lacey, some of these guys on the defensive line. Um, Christian Holmes in his second year now. Tanner McAllister's been there a few years. They've all grown up with Jim Knowles. I mean, they came in right out of high school, and they have grown uh, into an incredible defense under Jim Knowles. They've all grown together. They clearly trust each other. The players trust each other. They trust that they're in the right position. And it's just, I, I don't know, it, it, it's hard to describe. It's For so long in Stillwater, offense was an art form. And now, I mean, the defense... It's, it's like watching a, a painter go to work on a canvas. It is, it is so much fun to watch. And if you ever go back and watch the All-22 and the overhead stuff and just see just how little there really is for the opposing offense, it's, it's not like opposing offenses are just showing up and having bad Saturdays against Oklahoma State. You, you look at the All-22, you look at it from above, there's nothing there, and that's why they're struggling so much. And it's just – it's been so much fun to watch, and I seriously hope that the big check that Jim Knowles gets this offseason comes from Oklahoma State.
0: Yeah, he, he certainly deserves it. And I watched the game with, with some OU fans, some of my friends that are OU grads, and they marveled at the fact that they're like, man, why can't OU's defense, when a guy catches the ball, why can't they just bring – why can't the first guy just bring him down and tackle him? And it's just, it's just over and over and over. OSU, the first guy, brings the guy to the ground. You rarely see a missed tackle. They're so fundamentally sound. And you're right, that, that interception where Harville Peel got his, if you go back and watch the replay, it's almost scary how many orange jerseys are just it, – it, it almost looks like on the film that there's 22 defensive players on the field for Oklahoma State. That's, that's how much everyone's covered. That's how much the coverage looks like. There's just nowhere to throw the football. That's certainly what happened because Harvell Peel breaks on it and it's not even his guy. That just shows you how in sync the whole secondary is. And as much as we talk about uh, the secondary with Taylor and Harvell Peel and, and Converse, Bernard Converse having a great year as well, I think we don't talk enough, Colby, about the defensive line and you know the Brendan Evers of the world, the, the Tyler Lacey, who's had just a, an awesome career at Oklahoma State really the in, in Brock Martin the list goes on and on but that, that defensive line I don't think gets enough credit from us or especially you know conference wide or, or maybe even nationally for the job they do because it's one thing to be able to cover well they don't they don't give up much in the running game either and they certainly get off the quarterback too so that that defensive line we haven't talked enough about it all year Cole because they're, they're damn impressive.
1: Yeah, you're right, and honestly, shame on us a little bit for not giving them more credit throughout the season because you do get caught up on watching the guys on the back end fly around and make the picks and do all that stuff. But that's all set up by what happens up front. Tyler Lacey, like you mentioned, has been great. Uh, Trey Rucker's done some good things this year. Tyron Irby has been good at times this year. Um, I mean, Oklahoma State's just has so many guys contribute on that D-line. We've talked a lot about Colin Oliver just because he's the true freshman and how quick he is coming around the edge. Israel Antoine has done a good job on the line. Jaden Jernigan. I mean, a lot of guys, unsung heroes for this defense because another thing and kind of talked about it earlier, you set yourself up for that success on third down by winning on first and second down. Well, when opposing teams are trying to run the ball in early down situations and they can't do it, I mean, that allows you to do just about anything you want defensively on third and eight and on third and nine. And that starts up front. And then, you know, these guys on the back end, they are doing an unbelievable job but they're not being asked to do it for four or five seconds. I mean, nobody can cover that long. We see all the time. Quarterbacks scramble. Mobile quarterbacks are a nightmare for defenses because it's just about impossible to cover a really good receiver for five seconds. It is hard to do. But two and a half seconds, sure. Colby Arvell peel Jarred Bernard-Converse, Christian Holmes, those guys, Tanner McAllister, Jason Taylor, they can stay locked to their guy for two and a half seconds. That's all they're being asked to do. So the guys up front deserve a ton of credit because it really is – Secondary and, and front seven, it's a symbiotic relationship. One can't thrive without the other, and they have both just been phenomenal this year.
0: They really have. <clears throat> and the starters played in the first half, like we mentioned, zero first downs, 10 passing yards, two picks. The quarterback, Jason Bean, was three for 10 with a negative 1.6 QBR. <laughs> I mean, their drive chart was punt, punt, pick, pick, punt, 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 turnover on downs, punt. I mean, I don't care if you're playing Kansas. I just don't like. It's unbelievable how good this defense is turning out to truly be because they were great last year, uh, Colby. But we we did see them, you know, against Oklahoma. They got steamrolled in the first first half, first quarter, especially. The offense kind of turned it over and put them in a bad spot for the the second touchdown they gave up. But there were some times where they they bent a little bit more than than this year because they're not they're not bending hardly at all, let alone breaking. And they've just been. They've been outstanding, and you think about it. Moving forward, they've played they've played most of the, the all the best offenses except for Oklahoma. I mean, they're they're through the toughest part of their schedule offensively, other than the last game of the year against against OU. And I don't know about you, Colby, but and I said this on uh, actually posted this on the the PFB boards, uh, the Chamber. This is the first time that I can recall. I'd have to go back probably probably since the 2013 Bedlam game that Oklahoma State is, is not outmatched by Oklahoma. They're not physically overwhelmed the way they've been, and particularly because of Oklahoma's offensive line had NFL starters on it for the last five years. Essentially, since Lincoln Riley got there, they've had an NFL offensive line that's made life really easy for Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. Not like they needed help, but again, their offensive line is nowhere near – What it's been, and I think Oklahoma State's defense going up against that offensive line, a freshman quarterback that looks every bit as good as Kyler Murray to this point. Now, again, Caleb Williams only played. Caleb Williams' first three starts have come against the three worst defenses in the entire Big Twelve. So, as good as he's been, he's in for a rude awakening playing Baylor, Iowa State, and particularly Oklahoma State. So, I don't know how you feel about Colby, but this is the first time I go into a bedlam game thinking. OSU can hang with these guys physically and on both sides of the football. Yeah, I, I want everybody to
1: take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. I don't want people to get too excited. I don't want somebody running around. Oh, Colby's going to pick OSU to win Bedlam. Nope, Colby's probably not going to do that. Colby's been around a day or two and kind of knows how that game goes. That being said, I do think Oklahoma State, for the first time in a long time, will be the more physical team on the football field. Jim Knowles' defense hits Hard, and they tackle well. They are fundamental. One thing I do really like, look, Caleb Williams, he is so, so good, Carson. But like you mentioned, we've watched him play against bad defenses. Do I think he's going to be good against good defenses? Yes, I do, because he does some things that are really special, and they're just really hard to take away, especially with his mobility, his his ability to avoid pass rushes, step up in the pocket, do things like that. At such a young age with so little experience, it's really impressive to watch. But what I really like... Baylor and Iowa State, behind Oklahoma State, probably the the two next best defenses in the Big 12, maybe West Virginia with their front, but I think probably Iowa State and Baylor. Oklahoma State's going to get to see what those two teams put on film against Oklahoma and against Caleb Williams. So they'll get to see two quality defenses face off against OU and Caleb Williams. They'll get to see what they threw at them, what worked, what didn't work, what made Caleb Williams uncomfortable, all those different things. And I really think, Look, Caleb Williams is mobile. It's still going to be tough. But if Oklahoma State can take away the OU run game or at least limit the OU run game and really be able to pin their ears back, guys like Colin Oliver, uh, even getting some of the other guys in on blitzes, and just make him uncomfortable and try to make him make mistakes, you just never know. I'm such a, a pessimist when it comes to Bedlam, because we've just seen it time and time again. It just doesn't seem to matter who's on either side of the ball. It, it bounces the way, oh, you need to bounce in the fourth quarter, and, and it goes their way. We've seen it too many times for me not to think that that's probably going to end up what happens uh, the Saturday of Thanksgiving week. But I... I'm excited for that matchup for the first time in a long time, Price for the first time since 2017. Every year since 2017, I've dreaded Bedlam because I, I just didn't really have any confidence at all. This year, probably still not going to go super gung-ho picking them to win the game, but I am excited for that game because I think it's a much better matchup than it's been probably since that 2017
0: game. Yep, 2017's a good call. I was going all the way back to 2017, or I'm sorry, to 2013 because... Oh, she was favored in that game, and they were the better team. Like going into that game, they were the better team, and they they were throughout the game. Just as we've seen before in Bedlam, when gets a little tight, that's that's kind of the the X factor coming into this year's Bedlam game. But I want to talk about Mike, you know, in a little bit. Let's get to the offense, Colby. Um, Spencer Sanders is playing the best football of his career, and he's been flat out great the last two weeks. Maybe even really since the, that pick. In the second quarter against Texas, he hasn't thrown one. And you're starting to see – now, Mike Gundy and, and Casey Dunn gave a lot of credit to the receiving corps getting healthy because, remember, they were, they were harping on that the first two, three weeks of the season. You and I were getting tired of hearing about it. But it is coming to fruition that, that, that that's been a big difference for this offense. But I just think we're finally seeing the Spencer Sanders we hoped we would see. I mean, he was electric running the football – very calm when he got flushed out of the pocket, would just take off. Didn't, didn't try to go east west. Just cut up the field, and he he showed off his arm, man. He made some really impressive throws. I loved how they were throwing it on first down, kind of those those deep hitches to, um, to Tay Martin and to oh who was it? I just watched the game. Oh, uh, uh, there were a
1: couple couple intended for Jaden Bray. Bryson Green got a couple. Of Bryce, lists, the the you know. Green, I yep. feel like
0: that both Greens were getting those deep pitches right off the bat on first down. I love that. Just let your go big athlete turn around and, and box the guy out. But, Colby, just aren't, don't you think we're starting to see the maturation of, of Spencer Sanders just come, come right before our very eyes? I mean, I don't want to speak too soon or jinx him with turnovers, but this is the Spencer Sanders we've been waiting for, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely it is. And, you know, when the Baylor game happened, we all thought, here we go again, right? I mean, that's what we thought. Here we go again. And while the second interception that Spencer threw in that in that game was still really bad, the first one was just kind of football play. It happens. Uh, third one went between the hands of receiver, bounced off his face mask and got picked. Also... Baylor's better than we thought. Baylor's better than I gave him credit for. Baylor's better than a lot of people gave him credit for. I called the Iowa State win a total fluke. Uh, you know, I said Oklahoma State was going to blow them out and they were going to end up winning seven games. Baylor's better than we gave them credit for. And since, like you said, since the interception in the first half of the Texas game, he's been really good. The throw that he made rolling to his right. So we sit in the West End zone. So we're kind of looking right down the barrel of this throw. He's rolling right. Tay Martin breaks his route off and heads up the sideline toward the end zone. And Spencer Sanders, on a full sprint to his right, just drops it in the bucket over his shoulder in the end zone. I just – I mean, I I just – I looked at my dad, and my my eyebrows kind of perked up, and I'm like, that is a throw from Spencer Sanders. And he's had a couple of those lately. He had the one to Tay Martin last week against Iowa State. I also thought – and I hope that this was a not, not a one-off because, look, they know they're going to beat Kansas, so you can do some things against Kansas. Um, there was a freedom to the play calling that I don't really think that we've seen in some of the tighter matchups throughout the season. And I hope that that freedom in the play calling continues in the tighter games because it was so much less predictable. It was the least predictable play calling of the season that came against Kansas, a game you know you're going to win anyway. They were... Like I said, there was just a freedom to it, throwing on whatever down they wanted to throw on. You know, the running lanes were there whenever they decided to go that route. Another thing I was thrilled with, Jalen Warren had nine carries, one catch. He had 10 touches. Honestly, that's about seven or eight more than I needed to see from him because after touching it 160 times or so in four games, (laughs) I was really hoping for him to get some rest. So the freedom in the play calling, I thought set up a lot of that success. And hopefully that's something that we continue to see.
0: Yeah, that's that was one of my keys coming into the game. Remember I said I wanted Dominic Richardson to to get a lot of carries. He ended up getting the most with 11. Uh Jaden Nixon came out of nowhere to get 11. He looked he looked pretty springy. I guess he had a he had a high ankle sprain. He's been dealing with all year. He's finally back in the lineup. But I, it was great to see Richardson get going. He had 11 carries, 79 yards and a touchdown. I, I'm with you, man. You can't you can't just keep handing it to Warren 30 times a game and expect him to last to Bedlam. You just can't. So that that was great to see. And on that throw you mentioned I think that's the best throw of his career. I think that one, the that one, that was was one last week? I think it was better than the one last week. I Ooh. mean, I just on the uh, run like that, the way he dropped it in over the guy's shoulder, I mean, the one the one before was a hell of a the way he led him, he had to lead he had to lead Tay Martin about 15 yards on the one last week. But I in the moment, I said that's the best throw he's ever made. I just I, I was that blown away by it. Now you can you can probably debate back and forth either way. That's, that's the arm talent we've been waiting to see, and, and it was on full display. And I'm glad you mentioned the play calling because that's one thing I wanted to talk about was I think this was the best Casey Dunn's ever called a game to this point. And, again, I, I'm not even factoring in the, the total amount of points or the fact that they're playing against Kansas. I'm just talking about the creativity, man, and the throwing on first down. Those deep pitches were, were there all day. Maybe they won't be against Oklahoma. I think they will be against that secondary. And I loved, I loved all of the motion with Brennan Presley. There was a play, it only gained two or three yards. But I want, I want them to do this every play with, with Presley or receivers going in motion because it's going to open up the running game up the middle with, with Jalen Warren. There was a play where Sanders kind of, he faked like he was going to pitch to his left and just kind of flipped it forward to Presley, who went around the corner. They were going towards the, the west end zone at this point. It was pretty early in the game. And only gained two or three yards, but I, I love the play. I love the design. I even, Colby, this this is how excited I am about the game against Kansas. I loved the fourth down call that got stuck.
1: Yes, yeah, that was,
0: that was a creative play. The, the 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 linebacker somehow read that perfectly and made a perfect tackle. I I cannot fault the play call because Spencer Sanders goes up like he's going to quarterback sneak it and does a quick little end around to to uh, Jalen Warren and the linebacker just made a hell of a play. The, the creativity was night and day from what we saw at the beginning of the year. And maybe that's just the confidence of Casey Dunham, and Mike Gundy, knowing they have their best receivers in there. Maybe they didn't trust to run more creative offense, I, whatever it is. I was thrilled with the offense, just for, just from a play calling perspective, regardless of the result, regardless of the amount of points they scored. Carson,
1: the first play of the game, Brennan Presley came in motion from the right side to the left side and oh, my heart just melted to pieces. It was the happiest I've been in so long. First play of the game. We got motion. We've been clamoring for it for two months. We get it on the first play of the game. It was brilliant. The fourth down call Carson. I mean it's fourth and it's fourth and less than a yard. You don't run your kicker out on fourth and less than a yard. You go try to get a yard. They did. It didn't work. Like you said, it was a great play by the linebacker but it was still the right call don't play the result. Don't play the result. It was absolutely the right decision for them to go for it in that moment. They did. They didn't pick it up. That's fine. You live to fight another day. It was the motion. there was so much more motion. And another thing, I mean, you talk about them getting healthy. Logan Carter – was back on Saturday. Logan Carter we thought might miss the entire season. He was back. He and Braden Cassidy were both doing a really good job. There were a lot of uh, times where they would line up in the diamond and then those guys would shift into basically offset tight end positions and then either run a route out of there or uh, or, or do something from that formation but I think lo- having Logan Carter back gives them some flexibility with what they want to do. Braden Cassidy was really good while Carter was out and now it looks like they might be kind of a good one-two punch at the cowboy back position and the O line continues to play pretty well. I mean, I the the complaints about the O line earlier in the season that feels like it was years ago. So um, it was just from a, a schematic standpoint, it was all the things we've been clamoring for. It was it was motion. It was going for it on fourth down. You get your cowboy backs back and you get them healthy. You get some other guys back. It was it was everything we've been wanting.
0: Yeah, the offensive line's been been good. Uh, My gundy said they can improve still, but we're not sitting here after every podcast just promoting the fact they can't block anybody. They couldn't block air a couple of years ago, or maybe even sometimes last year when they had all those injuries. So that that certainly is encouraging. And, and, man, what's really encouraging, perhaps more than anything on the offense for me, is the emergence of Brennan Presley. Now, he didn't get a ton of touches. He had one carry for that touchdown run. He only had two catches for six yards. But Mike Gundy said, you know, look, if the score was closer, like, He's like he's like Presley needs to touch it 10 times a game which you and I have been saying all year and the guy is just electric just like his little brother is I can't wait to see both of them play together but Brennan Presley's emergence has been huge for this offense because even even when he doesn't get catches that him in motion teams have to account for that man either him either him running the football or you know he's even thrown a pass this year like he has become kind of a focal point of the offense that you and I have been clamoring for
1: yeah, he has. And like you said, when you bring him in motion, teams have to account for that. Because you know what Oklahoma State's going to do occasionally? They're going to do what they did on the touchdown play. They run the little reverse. They get Brendan Presley coming back across right to left. And Spencer Sanders leads the way. And Spencer Sanders was in front of him, and he was looking for somebody to hit. And it's, you know, you can have the debate. Do you want your quarterback out there hitting somebody? I thought it was great. And, and listening to him talk after the game, Spencer's like, look, if, if I'm running and I'm trying to make the quarter of the end zone, Brennan Presley's putting his body on the line to get me in. And Brennan Presley, even in his interview, he was funny when he was on with Robert. He's like, you know, I told Spencer, hey, I can make that guy miss. You don't have to block him. I'm, I'm good. I'll make that guy miss in the open field. But he's like, that's that's Spencer's dedication. And that was a great play. And it was definitely a crowd pleaser because Spencer was leading the way. He was looking for somebody to hit. And he found somebody to hit. And when it was time, he did not miss. It was it was impressive.
0: Uh would it be as impressive if his shoulder gets his, his throwing shoulder mind you is what he threw at the guy he <laughs> dislocates his shoulder and Oshu seasons effectively over?
1: No that would be that would be much less impressive.
0: Now I, I can't really fault Spencer because he's, he's a football player and he was asked to be the lead blocker. His coaches asked him to block so I, I can't I can't criticize him for throwing the block that he did. I just think it's dumb when your entire season rests on that right shoulder that he threw at a freaking defensive back. And I can't fault him for that one. It's a great play. He's a football player. Look, I'm I'm just a guy who has a microphone. What I can fault Spencer for is earlier in the you have to be smarter than this man. The whole season rests on your body. You've been injured throughout your career, and when you've been out, the offense has absolutely plummeted. the The one that really bothered me, Colby, he yeah, had a chance to run out of bounds. You know exactly which one I'm talking about. What you're gonna say? He could have run out of bounds. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to take this guy on, lowers his head, lowers his right shoulder. Again, his throwing shoulder into a defensive player, takes a big hit and knock the guy back a little bit. But you don't have to be the hero. In fact, it's dumb to be the hero when you're the franchise. This would be like an NFL quarterback doing that. You think, you think the owner of an NFL team or the head coach of an NFL team would like that? I don't think so. You think Kyler Murray's doing that? I don't think so. You just... You have to be smarter than that. And look, I get it. And Mike Gundy even said, he's like, he's the Tasmanian devil. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's competitive. I get all those things. If they ask you to be the lead blocker, I can't fault you for that. That's the play design. Your coaches asked you to block. But you have to be smarter than that, man. You cannot get hurt. You cannot throw your throwing shoulder into a guy like that. And just, I don't know. It, look, it, it, it all worked out. He didn't get hurt but we're, we're having a much different podcast if Spencer Sanders hurts his shoulder against Kansas and, and is in doubt for the next game or, or, or further.
1: Oh, yeah, it's doom and gloom if that happens. It's uh, another thing. I was sitting there, so I was watching the game. First half, I watched with my family, and then second half, some listeners actually came up. Shout out to those guys, uh, Michael, Brian, Tyler, uh, that I met Saturday night, uh, a few other guys that were up there. We, we were sitting around watching the second half, and uh, you know, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, best thing that could have possibly happened tonight happened. All the starters have been pulled. All the starters have been pulled. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. It's a beautiful thing against Kansas. Whenever you can steamroll them, nobody gets hurt. Uh, I mean, that's ideal. And the amount of young guys that Oklahoma State was able to get in in that second half – I mean, so many guys. John Paul Richardson gets his first touchdown catch. Bryson Green had a touchdown. And just some other guys. We got to see Jaden Nixon, Clayton Barber got a catch. Just a lot of guys who don't normally get to see the field. And, you know, you don't have to worry about the the stupid red shirt anymore now that you get four games for situations like this uh, in a 55-3 to blowout. So, uh, yeah, it's – it would have been a disaster if Spencer would have gotten hurt on one of those plays. Again, I love the block because that's the play. You're the lead blocker. You you if if you're the guy who needs to put somebody in the dirt so you can score, then you do it. Run out of bounds. Run out of bounds when you're scrambling, please. <laughs> the extra yard, the extra yard and a half, it is
0: not worth it. Run out of bounds. You got I mean you, you got to swallow your pride and realize you're the franchise. You are the franchise of this team. This team will only go as far as you can take them. But again, that's just He's a football player. I get it. I, I, I get it. You just got to be a little smarter than that. But you're right. The starters did go out after the first half, which is great, because Shane Ellenworth got in there as well. Thought he looked good throwing the football. And I think combined, I had the numbers right in front of me here for a second. Uh,
1: I've got him 18 here. of 29 combined.
0: 18 of 29. I think it was like 243 yards. Uh, 227,
1: 227
0: and four touchdowns. That's right. Um, you, throw it, you throw in Ethan Bullock's. That would get him up to the two forty three mark. Yeah, that's right, two forty three and four touchdowns. There it is. So, what do you think of Ellingworth? I mean, he can he can sling it, and it's going to be interesting when Sanders does move on. Just what this offense is going to look like with him. He he's a throwback. He he's a bit of a statue back there, like a Brandon Weeden, but uh, he can sling it, man. I thought he looked pretty good in relief. Yeah, it's just, it's so
1: hard to evaluate a backup quarterback that is so, that's such a 180 in style from what your starter is, because I mean, Spencer Tasmanian devil and runs around and is very gunslinger, all that stuff. And the Shane Ellingworth very much stands still and just delivers the ball. that's what he does. And he took off running a couple of times and gosh, every time he takes off running, my knees start hurting. It's, it, it just, it looks uncomfortable, but he, he can get the job done. And, look, I, I've been pretty much Team Spencer all the way just because his ceiling is so high whenever he's playing well. doesn't mean I don't like Shane Illingworth. I think Shane Illingworth uh, is a perfectly fine backup. And when the time comes that his number is called to be the starter, I, I hope that he absolutely lights the world on fire. So it's, it's always good for those guys to get in there and to get experience because what, I don't care if it's against Kansas in the second half. Playing football, playing football that that matters in a game that means something is always good. So it was good to see Ealingworth out there.
0: I have a stupid question for you. Hit me. Is it a good or a bad thing Tanner Brown made a 49 yard field goal?
1: Oh, Carson, I thought the same thing when it went in. (laughs) I thought the same thing when it went in. I said, I said, oh my God, Gundy's going to run him out from 49 in a tight game in two weeks, isn't he? It's. It's a good thing. You want him to get his confidence up? It's a good thing. I'll just – it's a good thing. Can we leave it at that?
0: It's good. I mean, you can't – you want him to make that one and because you know Gunny's going to run him out there for a 35-yarder against Oklahoma at least, right, or 32 right. What he missed an aim. So, at, at least yeah. he got over the yips. So, he made a 49-yarder. I just hope Gunny doesn't use that as a reason to kick a 49-yarder against Oklahoma with a Big 12 championship berth on the line. So that, that's kind of where I was coming at. But no, it was great. Tanner Brown, again, he's been really good in relief uh, for, for Alex Hale, who's on a driving range somewhere working on his yips. But uh, that was good to see. I, I say that mostly in jest, but only kind of because I'm worried Gundy's going to cite that in post game in, in Bedlam for kicking a 49 yarder when they were tied. I, uh, I mean, look,
1: the reality is, um, I mean, Gundy's going to run him out at some point. We know he is. Get your confidence up. Look, if, if Tanner Brown never misses a field goal the rest of his career, nothing would make me happier. Just light it up three points every time you run him out there. It's just, you know, I, I think everybody kind of knows where I stand. It's mostly fourth and short kicking that gets me. It's fourth and nine kicking doesn't get me. I mean, fourth and nine, you kick. That's what you do. It's the fourth and inches kicking that gets me. It's, it's the fourth and two from the opponent, 34, that gets me. Did you watch, Carson, did you watch the Baylor-Texas game on Saturday?
0: Uh, I saw the fourth down punt, uh, fake punt. That's about all I saw. Okay, so you missed when Dave Aranda
1: ran his kicker out to attempt a 51-yarder in the first half. Carson, this is zero hyperbole. 51-yarder Aranda runs him out for. I I don't know what it was, fourth and four probably. It missed 15 yards wide left and landed in the middle of the end zone. In the (laughs) middle of the end zone. And I'm thinking... What, I, I, I mean, it had to have been mishit because they, he, they had to have seen something in pregame to know that that could have been a chance to make that field goal. But then I'm watching it, and in the second half, Baylor has a fourth and five from the Texas 20-yard line, and they leave the offense on the field, and I'm like, thank you, Coach Aranda. Thank you for not making us sit there and watch your kicker try another field goal. And Greg McElroy's on the broadcast, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm pretty shocked here that Baylor's not going to take the points. And I'm like, take the points? What points, what (laughs) points did you see this guy? Miss 15 yards left and nine yards short earlier in the game from, you know, 14 yards further back. What points are we referencing? The phrase take the points should be retired unless it's like a 20 or less yard field goal in college football because the the phrase take the points whenever you're kicking a field goal implies that it's 100% probability when we all know that it's not. And guess what? Baylor picked up the fourth and five. They scored two plays later. They went on to win the game. It was the right call by Coach Aranda, but it was just, oh my gosh, I was having deja vu. I was having flashbacks, nightmares, watching that kicker
0: land one in the middle of the end zone. Well, and, and Greg McElroy should know Alabama's had terrible kickers right? Back, dating back to when <laughs> he was the quarterback was say, there, especially when he was there. They were
1: terrible at kicker
0: way. They were terrible kicking the field, kicking the ball back when he was in school. He should know better. And, and he's not the only one like that. That's a very common phrase. You're right. And it's like, people think that they're NFL kickers. Well, I watched the Dallas Cowboys last night, Greg Zerline, a professional kicker missed a 43 yard field goal. People would say, Oh, well, you got to take the points. Well, <laughs> This is the Dallas Cowboys kicker. It's no guarantee to make it from forty-three yards in a dome, by the way. And so I, I don't understand why people and, and college kickers, there's there's hardly any good ones in college. I mean, OU's got a really good one, and I was looking up some of the stat. There's no one even really close to him as far as being being a quality college football kicker. So I I don't understand it, but hopefully, hopefully it doesn't come down to that with Oklahoma State, but. Uh, Iowa State did Oklahoma State a favor, Colby. They lost to West Virginia. Kind of got hosed on, on a call from the Big 12 refs. Shocking. I know that just, that comes as a huge shock to everyone. So now the the race is, is really heating up now. I mean, Oklahoma is undefeated, but they have Baylor at Baylor, Iowa State at Oklahoma State. OSU has at West Virginia, TCU at home, at Tech, then OU to finish the year. Baylor's got at TCU, OU at K State, Texas Tech. That's pretty favorable. I think that's closest to OSU in terms of favorability. Iowa State now three and two in league play has Texas at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma, TCU at home. So now, Colby, it kind of appears to me now that Oklahoma State kind of wants they kind of want OU to to beat Baylor, right? You know, if Baylor wins out, Bedlam essentially is an elimination game for the Big Twelve championship. Yeah, it's it's a hard
1: position to be in because do you want Baylor to beat Oklahoma so that if you beat Oklahoma, you now play Baylor in the Big 12 championship game? That's best case scenario, right? You only have to see OU once. You don't have to see him twice. On the other hand, you don't beat OU a lot. So what if you don't beat them in Bedlam? You'd sure like to be you'd sure like to have the cushion of losing that game and knowing that you still got him the next Saturday. So It's really, it's a catch-22. You you know, you could get burned either way. If Baylor wins that game, then all of a sudden you could lose to Oklahoma, and then you get Oklahoma and Baylor in the conference championship game. But if OU wins that game, and then even if you beat OU, then you still have to play OU again in the Big 12 title game. So it's definitely a catch-22. But back to that Iowa State game, Iowa State driving the field to go try to win a game and getting absolutely hosed by the officials on a spot that ended up having a huge determination in the outcome of that game, Carson, that is poetry. It is just, it's <laughs> so good. The week after they win on that very scenario, they lose on that very scenario. The Big 12 refs are just Big 12 refing all over themselves these last couple of weeks. And they're impacting games, Carson. It's its insane that in two straight weeks, you can make an argument, that Iowa state should be one and one the last two weeks and just flip flops, the games that they've won and lost. I mean, the big 12 refs, the the fate of the game lands at the end of their whistle. And, uh, that whistle just blows randomly, however, and whenever it wants to.
0: Well, if you're an Iowa state fan too, the, the call that took away the touchdown on Hutchinson Uh, last week, combined with this week. Yes. I mean, you're, They're they're probably – the Iowa State fans are probably marching when their overalls over those red and yellow striped overalls to the Big 12 offices right now at Pitchforks. That's probably how upset they are. But uh, OSU knows all too well about how how poor the officiating is. But I think OSU's got the easiest schedule remaining of those teams. Baylor is right there with them, I think. But, but again, as good as Baylor's been, I have a lot of respect for Dave Aranda. I think Baylor's done a really good job hiring coaches between Matt Rule and Dave Aranda. They're a good football team. They're really good defensively. I just don't know offensively if they're good enough to run the table. I mean, obviously the Oklahoma game is going to be a big determination if they do that, but even even at TCU and at Kansas State and Tech at home, I mean, they, uh, as bad as they are offensively, I say it's bad, they're not great offensively to where I could see them losing at, say, a Kansas State. I'm, I'm not just thoroughly convinced they're, they're going to win out besides the OU game. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm not necessarily either. So what is it this week for Oklahoma State? at West Virginia, TCU at home, which will be the blackout and Barry Sanders going in the ring of honor. That's going to be a fun, fun night, afternoon, morning. Who knows when that game will be. Do we have a kick time? We don't have a kick time for that game. Do we TCU?
0: Uh not yet. It's been optioned. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll find out what probably a week from today, what's the right, kick time?
0: right after the, uh, right after the game Saturday, we should know.
1: Okay, yeah, because then the networks will pick who they get and that will all go down. So, uh, West Virginia this week, I kind of think it's a good spot. West Virginia coming off a big, emotional, hard-fought win against Iowa State. You know, you certainly won't be taking that team lightly after the way they performed last week against Iowa State. And then, Carson, I mean, Oklahoma State has four games left and they only face two more head coaches. Uh, It's kind of a weird scenario. I was shocked yesterday evening uh, whenever Buddy texted me and was like, hey, uh, do you see – what's going on with Patterson? And I'm like, nope, I'm not walking around a neighborhood with some trick-or-treaters. What's up? And they're like, he's, he's done immediately. Mutually, mutually agreed to part ways. And I'm like, Whoa, end of an era at TCU, a long successful era at TCU and Patterson's had some success against Gundy. So I,
0: uh, I don't totally hate that he opted not to coach the last four games. Yeah. Chris climbing in Kansas state have have gotten two coaches fired, you know, Matt Wells at <laughs> Texas tech and, uh, Gary Patterson. I, I was pretty shocked too. And, it's funny. Someone DM'd me a tweet about TCU, and they never really explained what it was. And I, in my head, I was thinking, "Isn't it about time Patterson just calls it a calls it a quits?" I just kind of thought that to myself. And then about six, seven hours later, the news came down, and I was pretty surprised for the simple fact I thought he was just going to coach until he retired, until he wanted to to quit. Now maybe he went in there. It sounded like they told him you're gone and you can finish out the year, which just floors me. The guy's got a statue outside the stadium. It's, it's already there. It's already built. And they, uh, they, they gave him his walking papers. Maybe that's why Mike Gundy has that rollover contract to prevent something like that from happening. But um, it's, it's been, it's been kind of coming. I mean, TCU has been down ever since that, that great year they had in 2014. They just, they, they haven't been very good for, for a while now. But again, I thought Gary Patterson was, was long tenured enough and had established himself enough there to really go out on his own terms. So I was, I was pretty shocked by that. But you're so right about the spot with West Virginia because you mentioned it coming off an emotional win. It sets up kind of like the Kansas game. I mean, Kansas, they felt like they were coming off a win, as tough as they played Oklahoma. And it's a 2:30 game in Morgantown as well. It's not a, it's not the dreaded night game in, in Morgantown where they get to drink moonshine all day. So um, it's it's a good spot. I I really think it's a great spot. For OSU, but again at Morgantown, it's no picnic. Brennan Presley had a quote of the day uh, today. He said, "They're all what do you say? They're all crazy drunks." He, he he said he was asked what he's
1: heard about the West Virginia fans because he's never played down there, and he said, "I've heard they're a bunch of crazy drunks."
0: <laughs> so good. He said that way more explicitly. One of my favorite quotes of, of my entire TV career was a defensive lineman for Oklahoma named Chuka Ndulue, and he was asked the same question what do you think about West Virginia? He just said, they're loud and rude. <laughs> that's all he said. He's just, they're loud and rude. He like right. He's kind of like that Nigerian accent. It was hilarious. Just the way he said it was, I probably didn't say it as good as he did, but it was really funny. And I used to quote that all the time. Anytime Oregon town came up. So that's uh, it's, it's shaping up to be a great year. And again, I, I need to, I need to follow my sword here a little bit through two games. I was, I was ready for Oshi to move on for Mike Gundy. That that wasn't me. Again, people misconstrued that as me calling for him to be fired. That's not what I was saying. I'm just my own fandom, my personal opinion was that I thought the program was was trending downward. And it's turning out to be a freezing cold take because Oklahoma State is, you know, they're what? Uh, seven and one? Eight and one? What's the uh, record? Seven, seven, seven and one. Seven and one. Sec, second in the Big 12. It's right there for them to go to their first Big 12 championship appearance. I picked them to win 10 games to start the year. So I I reversed course pretty hard, but based on how bad those first two games look, I just didn't see their offensive line coming around the way it has. I certainly didn't see Jalen Warren coming. And I underestimated just how flat-out elite the defense was. And I think you got to give Mike Gundy a lot of credit. And this is why, even though I was feeling that way, I've always said he can coach here as long as he wants because the job he's done – for so long is is remarkable. Now he is the longest tenured coach in the Big 12 with with Gary Patterson moving on. And uh, he's just a hell of a football coach, Colby. You know, I mean, the defense hiring Jim Knowles has proven to be just his best hire ever, including his offensive coordinator hires he's made over the years. And he's figured out the offense alongside Casey Dunn to where I think their best – we we mentioned on last week's pod, I mean, they're they're, going to start playing – some of the worst defenses in the Big 12. I mentioned Caleb Williams, who got shut out in the first half by Kansas, by the way. His first three starts were against the worst uh, defenses in the league. Well, now Spencer Sanders gets a crack at some of those defenses. And so they're healthy at receiver. Sanders is playing outstanding. The offense, to me, is really starting to hit its stride, I think more so even prior to the Kansas game. Combine that with the defense, Colby, and you got to give Mike Gundy a ton of credit, man, because it looked atrocious through two games.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes my opinion of Mike Gundy gets a little misconstrued because I'm very passionate in the way I speak about things. Some people think I hate Mike Gundy. Couldn't be further from the truth. I hate kicking on fourth and short. That's what I hate. that's, That's what gets me fired up is kicking on fourth and short. I don't hate Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy's the most successful coach the school has ever had. And he obviously has the ear of his team. He obviously has the respect of his team. He's got his finger on the pulse in the locker room. He is pushing all of the right buttons to maximize Oklahoma State's talent. It's... Sometimes me just complaining and just wanting to get on my soapbox about analytics and, and going for it on fourth down. People misconstrue that as me hating Mike Gundy. No, no, no. That's just me hating kicking on fourth and short. It wouldn't matter who the head coach was. They run the kicker out on fourth and inches. I'm my head's gonna explode. So that's don't don't misconstrue my opinion of Gundy. Uh, I think he does everything well except you know, focus, look, look at look at the analytics a little bit more, and then we'll be just about 100% in lockstep. Uh, but like you said, he's just. Longest tenured coach in the Big 12 now, and it's just it's hard to argue with the results. It's been a few years. I think it's easy to forget whenever Oklahoma State goes a few years without having one of those 10-win seasons, we kind of forget that those have become a, a semi-regular thing in Stillwater. And Gary Patterson actually had an interesting quote. It was back in 2016 or 17 when he got a statue, and they asked him about getting the statue what an honor he was. And he said, getting the statue makes my job harder because now I have to live up to the statue. And Gundy's talked about that. Gundy's like, we've built this monster, and now we have to live up to the incredibly high standard that we have set. And he's right. That, that you're, you're held to the standard of A, what have you done for me lately? And B, what is the ceiling that you can accomplish? And Gary Patterson down at TCU has not accomplished much lately. The ceiling has started to look very low at TCU. Uh, Mike Gundy. Couple of years of six wins. You forget all the 10 win seasons that came before those until boom, snap, turnaround, they're going to win 10 again. So it's nice to see. Uh, it's refreshing and it, and it lets us all uh, kumbaya a little bit more as a fan base.
0: Yep, you're right. I mean, Patterson since, let's see, 2014, he went 12 and 1, 11 and 2 in 2015, 6 and 7 in 2016. He won 11 games in 2017 as well. I forgot about that year.
1: That was the year they went to the title game
0: Big uh, 12 title game. Yeah, Alamo Bowl. Yeah, they went to the Alamo Bowl that year. You're right. They lost to you in the Big 12 title game, and then since 2017, he's won seven, five, six, and then three this year. Could you imagine this podcast, Colby, if if Oshie won five games?
1: Carson, I, I don't even pretend to be level-headed. If they ever go seven, six, five, three in a four-year span, <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna need some throat lozenges.
0: Yeah, I mean that that to me that that really puts it in perspective on. How how much worse it could be when when we're sitting here complaining about about not winning ten games? It, it could be a lot worse, and, and the bull streak is obviously intact for Mike Gundy as well. So, hats off to Mike Gundy. Uh, he got his his contract extension. He's got that is back to the five year rollover, and uh, it's been a remarkable year so far. And again, they they came with an eyelash of still being undefeated. So I wanted to wanted to give him his due. Uh, without further ado, let's get to bullets and BBs. Well, uh, we got some great candidates this week. Uh, Colby, you want to go first?
1: Uh, yeah, for my bullet this week. Now my
0: buddy Warren got something he want to say to all you cowboy men. <laughs> <laughs> your phone died during the yell. I think, the, I think his yell blew out your speakers.
1: Oh, Warren, Warren, my guy, the little, by the way, after he says Cowboys, he kind of lowers his arms and backs up. He's got all this. He's just like, just swag oozing from every, uh, every limb. It was, I'm telling you, that was maybe the most excited the fan base got all night in a game that Oklahoma State won 55 to three. It was, and it was so funny because the whole time that that uh, that main guy I'm sorry I forget his name can we can Go we boy. hear
0: Warren again your phone kind of got quiet oh, there it? for a okay. portion of it let's hear him oh, one more time
1: yeah, Now my buddy Warren got something he wanted to say to uh, you cowboy <laughs> yeah
0: it, it did it again I don't I don't know what our malfunction is there well,
1: maybe it's just cutting out everybody's seen the Warren Clay video yeah Warren's the man it was a huge cheer standing ovation got the crowd going it's just he, he was like it was like he was shell-shocked the whole time he was waiting he was just standing there frozen holding the two pistols up on either side of his his cowboy hat uh it was man it was so good and then whenever it was time for him to talk I was expecting go pokes and we did not get go pokes we got a screaming osu cowboys uh warren clay shout out to you my man you won the weekend
0: Younger brother Colin Clay. And you're right. He, he was rocking the chaps with the cowboy hat. And he had that look on his face after he he screamed the OSU. Like he almost looked like a like a UFC fighter waiting to waiting for them to ring the bell. Like he was like so intense. He was like he was just he was ready to go strap a helmet on and play. And I tweeted out today, Colby, I want him to ride BB around after touchdowns. He already had the, he already had the chaps and cowboy hat. I'm just put him on BB with bullet and let him run out there.
1: How great would that be? Here come Bullet and BB and Warren, and then they (laughs) run out of the tunnel. That'd
0: be so good. I had a Twitter follower suggest, no, don't do that. Have them lead the team out on BB. How great would (laughs) that be? Gosh, oh my gosh, for Bedlam, lead the team out on BB Uh, for Bedlam. I love it.
1: I mean, how can you not? How can you not play for Warren? Warren's Uh, the best man. That was so much fun.
0: He was awesome. That that kid's amazing. He's he's gone viral already, and he he was he was awesome. I want to see more. I want to see more Warren um, for the rest of the the home slate as well. So that's a great bullet. My bullet's going to go to. Uh, I already mentioned Jim Knowles. He's just he could get the bullet every week. I mean, he's he's been awesome. But I, I really want to I really want to shine a light on on Spencer Sanders again. Again, this guy has been through injuries. He's been through a lot of criticism throughout his career. Much of it deserved with the turnovers. But again, I I really believe we're starting to see him blossom. I think I think the next the next three or four games of this of these this slate can go a long way to, to his kind of his his standing in OSU lore if he's able to play this well consistently the rest of the way and they're able to make it to Jerry world who knows what happens I think it'll it'll change a lot of the narrative about him because he's been very frustrating for the OSU fan base for a long time and I think some of that's out of his control. Some of that was the offensive line being terrible. Some of it was having three offensive coordinators, three quarterback coaches. Some of that was out of his control. And this year, there, there was no more excuses. And he struggled at times this year. You mentioned the three turnovers against Baylor. But he's really, really playing well. And I think he has totally lifted where this team can go with how he's played the last couple of games. And he's going to have a big stage moving forward, especially in Bedlam. Uh, and I, I can't wait to see what he does because this is this is the guy that we all saw win Mr. Texas football. And I think OSU is utilizing him in much better ways as well, getting him out of the pocket, getting him rolling around. And, again, he's made two jaw-dropping throws that, that Brandon Whedon would have been proud of back in his heyday. So I got, I got to give it to Spencer.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, BB this week, I could not find a single BB to go around in Stillwater. So I'm just going to give my BB to anybody who thought Iowa was good at football. <laughs> if Iowa, you thought Iowa was good football, you get to Iowa,
0: get out of here. Yards,
1: Carson, they had five yards at halftime. They're the number nine ranked team in the country.
0: Iowa. Five yards
1: at halftime. Two turnovers. Two That's turnovers. unbelievable. Five yards. Unbelievable. I think they, had negative, it was like they either had negative rushing or negative passing yards at halftime. So at halftime of a game against mighty Wisconsin, they had more turnovers at halftime than they had either passing or rushing yards. I can't remember which it was, but shame on Iowa for – duping everybody into thinking they were good to duping a handful of people into thinking they were good
0: well i had a famous rant on this show several years ago when they kept ranking iowa iowa oh, in the top four strictly because they were undefeated because they played on the opposite side of michigan and ohio state and all the good oh, i remember in the Big that 10. Yeah. yeah it's They're like, at, like 11,
1: no, didn't
0: they? yeah it's like every Every four years, they get that cupcake Big Ten schedule. The Big Ten already stinks anyway. I don't know why people think the Big Ten's so great. I mean, God, that, that league is terrible. And, and don't tell me it's because they play great defense. They don't. I mean, don't tell me that. They're just terrible, terrible on offense. The forward pass is a foreign concept to that league. I mean, Ohio State's been great, they've been Clemson and Alabama good. The rest of that league stinks. Iowa yep. State, you and I came on our, our pre, pre-season podcast. What did we say? We said it was a joke that Indiana was ranked above Oklahoma State, or ranked <laughs> at all ahead of Oklahoma State. They were ranked 17th coming into the year. So that, that, that to me, is just a total joke. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, this Oklahoma State team, very
1: underrated coming into the season. Win total was 7.5 for this Oklahoma State team. They have to beat either West Virginia, TCU, Texas Tech, or Oklahoma to hit the over. So very underrated team coming into the season.
0: Yeah, my BB <laughs> I have to give it to the same player, Spencer Sanders. You ca- you cannot duck your head on a run in the, when the, when the out of bounds lines right there, you have to run out of bounds. I got to give it to Spencer, but I won't I won't harp on it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's we're nitpicking at that point from what really was a great weekend in Stillwater. The weather cleared up. You know, the wind was blowing like a billion miles an hour last week on Wednesday or Thursday. And Mike Gundy even brought it up in postgame talking to Robert. He's like, yeah, I didn't know if they were going to finish all their their decorations and stuff they do with that wind blowing so hard. Wind died down. They were able to get all that done. Walk around Friday night was a blast. It – yeah, I I will say one thing. Homecoming and hoops, I thought it was cool to do it outside as a one-off. I hope it's not – a tradition that continues because I'm sure it was really cool for the couple hundred people that were jammed around the fence. Uh, We left after like five minutes. You just, if you weren't one of the people on the fence, you couldn't see. So I'm sure it was a lot of fun for those people. It was a cool one-off to do something different. I hope it does go back to Gallagher-Iba next year, but all in all, just another grand slam home run out of the park, homecoming weekend for Oklahoma state, best homecoming in the nation. Uh, And from what I hear, it's not particularly close.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the, the, it was a great idea to do it on. It's one of those ideas that sounds better in theory than in practice, right? Like it's cool to do it on campus. It's something we haven't seen before, but I love the homecoming and hoops in Gallagher. because there's not an empty seat in the house. And that's, that's rare in today's world of college basketball. You just don't get that with all the, all the students in there, the fraternities sororities it's, it's packed to the absolute roof. Yeah, Mike Gundy taking his shirt off at midcourt with Mason Rudolph. You got Mike Boynton out there dancing. It's a great showcase for the women's basketball team as well. So I, I'm sure they're going to look at that and do it in gallagher again next year to, to pack the house. And and when they do it in Gallagher-Iba, Cole, I'm able to watch online. I don't have to be there. A lot of people would tune oh, yeah. in and watch it online. And I know that a lot of people did the year prior. So it was a great idea. And, and again, it just shows you how creative and, and forward-thinking Mike Boynton is. And I, I'm sure everyone that got – we we're able to see it, loved it, but I'm with you. I think they'll, they'll probably move it into Gallagher. So, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com Colby, how awesome were the helmets in person? Because they were spectacular oh, said, on television.
1: They were so good. They might, they might be the goat helmet. They were so good. I. When I saw them on Twitter, I was like, oh, those are clean. Then I walked in the stadium, walked up the ramp, looked down on the field at warm I'm like, oh, those helmets. And, you know, I went with the white-orange-white last week, so I missed it by just the helmet. Oh, I was the happiest I've ever been to be wrong. Those helmets were so clean, just matte black, orange stripe down the center, numbers on the side. So, so good.
0: It was so clean. I love the old school number on the helmet, too. And I did go black, orange, white. They didn't wear my vintage orange jersey that I had in mind. And that's that's the only slight nitpick I have with the homecoming helmet and then the, the modern uniforms. I know you can't do budget wise. You probably can't do a different throwback uniform every single year. Um, although we'll wait and see what they do for the blackout, which I want to talk about real quick, but Uh I did love the helmets. I just wish they had jerseys that kind of match the numbers, you know, the numbers on the jerseys matching the helmet. But I mean, again, these these were awesome. And and I think, I think the black, orange, white combos underrated. I think the tricolor doesn't get enough love. I I love the tricolor. They wore the same color combination against West Virginia for homecoming back when Rudolph was the quarterback, similar helmet. It was just the old school brand. And, uh, I I loved them. I thought they were great. Uh, yeah, the tricolors
1: Great. TCU blackout Barry Sanders going into the ring of honor. It's gotta be the throw black throwback old school OSU in the white, the old school insignia on the side with the, uh, with the old school black jerseys
0: has to be right. Gotta be. I mean, I I've seen the, the, the 88 throwback Jersey in black circulating on Twitter. That would be spectacular with the old school brand helmet. I even love I even love the white helmet with the old school brand in black. The brand being in black, the helmet being white with the black jersey and the white pants with the black stripe down the pants. That would be chef's kiss. That would be sensational. You got to do something for Barry, right?
1: Yeah, you got to do something for Barry. You got to wear the throwbacks. Uh, also, I always appreciate a good blackout in November. It's always cold. And a lot of people's winter gear is black because that's just kind of a standard color. My, my ski coat that I wear to games in November is black. My beanie that I wear is black. My gloves that I wear are black. So I appreciate a good blackout in November. It makes it very easy to break out the winter gear.
0: Yeah, you're right. Like when it gets winter, like the stadium gets much less orange. It gets way yeah. more, way more black. So you're right. That'll be a lot easier for the, for all the fans involved. So I, I'm with you and that's going to be a cool look. I think they haven't done a blackout in a long time. I want to say they did it against Texas on Halloween back when uh Earl Thomas had a pick and they lost like 41 to 14 or something crazy like that. I think that was the last time they did a blackout. So that'll be a cool look for the stadium and certainly should go better than than that night did. But again, any anything, anything else, Cole, before we get out of here? Don't think so. Great weekend. Love homecoming in
1: Stillwater, and I'm I'm juiced for the West Virginia game Saturday, two thirty. Which, for the record, is my favorite kick time. So pretty juiced for the game Saturday.
0: Two thirty is the best kick time. You get to you don't have to get up early. You get to go out at night. So it's uh, it's perfect, Colby. We'll uh, we'll get back with you later in the week to preview that game. Absolutely, go Pokes.